Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Thursday, February the 21st edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the State of the Roster series comes to its conclusion as we talk about the safeties. We'll discuss not the idea of a tank, but why it is realistic the Dolphins could wind up being pretty bad in 2019 but why that's not a terrible thing long term and we'll talk about the rookie class of quarterbacks as well as talk about some offensive line scouting tips in this podcast but first before any of that as we do every day on the show I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. leave us a rating leave us a review follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL follow the show at Locked on Fins find all of my written content on this Dolphins team up on LockedOnDolphins.com the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And last but not least, for all your draft needs leading up to April's draft, we have the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast, both part of the Locked On Podcast Network. With that, let's go ahead and jump right in to segment number one. That's another Miami Dolphins. And on the podcast today, part number 10 of a 10-part series talking about the Dolphins' current roster, heading into free agency, as well as the draft. It is all coming up very, very soon as we are coming to the final week of February as the combine is just one week away from now, and then we'll have free agency a week after that, and then a month and a half after that, we have the draft. So things are happening very, very fast. Let's go ahead and finish up the state of the roster series and talk about the safeties on this position or on this team, rather, because this position is really out of whack heading into 2019 with the Dolphins' current assets, the allocation of resources into this asset as a safety group as a whole. It's just all jumbled. It's a mess. The Dolphins are going to have to find a way to get creative to find new pieces while managing the current dollars owed to the current players on the roster. And with that, the Dolphins owe their safeties this year $20.7 million. Now, 13.1 of that goes to one player, which is probably the worst contract in the NFL right now. As much as I love Rashad Jones, that's just way too much money for the position, especially for a guy that really doesn't have a good place in this defense or a right fit in this defense, I should say. Now, the NFL average at safety is $9.7 million. So the Dolphins are more than double the average safety group in the NFL with their current makeup. It's number one in the NFL. And number two is the New England Patriots. So this is a position that really is important in this defense and drives this defense. And talking about Rashad Jones, look, the guy's going to be in the ring of honor one day, but his poor angles, his lack of coverage ability deep down the field, I just don't think he's a good fit for this defense. And... He's going to be stuck on the roster this year because that contract is pretty much untradeable and he'll be a good box safety. He'll make some plays in the running game. He'll come downhill and blitz and do some things that way, but it's way too much money for what he does in this defense. You can find that role for a lot cheaper somewhere else. And I assume the Dolphins, as soon as they can get out of that contract, will look to do so. 
And then you go forward to Minka Fitzpatrick, who really, like I've talked about all along, is going to be the linchpin of this defense. They owe him $1.2 million in 2019. He can do everything from covering a tight end on the perimeter. He can come down on the slot and cover your best slot receiver. He can play single high free safety. He can blitz. He can play the screen. The guy is fantastic. A sticky man cover guy. Something the Dolphins would love to have and a great matchup piece. So he's going to be the guy this entire defense operates around. And then you have TJ McDonald, who's owed $5 bucks. And if the Dolphins cut him, they still have to pay him that money. And I do think that's ultimately where they end up going because, like Jones, McDonald is even less of a fit than Rashad Jones in this defense. He's just not fast enough to play in this defense. And if you guys want to see a better explanation for all this stuff, check out Kevin Dern's piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com, breaking down the Dolphins' defensive scheme inside the film room up on LOD.com. So McDonald is cut. Jones and Fitzpatrick are the starters. You still have Walt Aikens, $1.4 million. And he's bounced back and forth between cornerback and safety. But really, every time he has to play defense, he's a liability. So he is a special teams captain, and that's why they paid him what they paid him to keep on the roster and give them depth at safety, even though really when he plays, it's not a good thing. And then pending free agents. The Dolphins only have one. He made 555000 last year. He's an exclusive rights free agent, talking, of course, about Maurice Smith. I thought he's been... He's been pretty solid when he's got on the field, whether it was preseason or back in 2017. Had a little bit of action back in 2018 this last year, early in the season, but then he got injured and didn't come back. But I think that he could be an option for that kind of middle of the field, center field, free safety type of guy. The Dolphins are going to have to try to find their Deron Harmon of the Patriots, if you want to put it on a comparison level. I think that he has a chance to get back on the roster on this team and make an impact and compete for playing time and sub-package duties. Now, as far as the free agent class goes, we've talked about it all along. The Dolphins probably going to sit out on the top part of the mar- on the market, so you probably won't see the Dolphins in the news on the first day or two of free agency unless it's for a guy like Trey Flowers, which we'll talk about here in the second segment. But as far as the safeties go, I mean, you got Earl Thomas, Landon Collins, LaMarcus Joyner. The class is really, really loaded, and there's a secondary option that comes down to Glover Quinn, Adrian Amos, Clayton Gathers, and then Jimmy Ward of the Niners, I thought would be an interesting piece there. He's a guy the Patriots would seem to have liked back when he was coming out of Northern Illinois. He can play the nickel and some safety and some corner. I think he'll be a guy the Dolphins look to kick the tires on as far as a cheaper option at the safety group. Now, the draft is a better crop for what the Dolphins are looking for, in my opinion, as last year's draft class was dynamic. This year, it's not as top-heavy, but it is very very deep. You have Deontay Thompson, the Alabama safety that everyone's going to have at the top of their board. I think he'll be out of the Dolphins range. He could be there at 13, but I don't think he'll be an option for the Dolphins at pick number 13. And then you have Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida. That guy is a perfect center field safety for this defense and would fit that bill to a T. Nasir Adderley out of Delaware, the exact same situation, a deep center field safety. I think if the Dolphins could find him at 48, that would be an absolute steal at that spot. The same goes for Gardner-Johnson. And then you have the need for a guy like a Patrick Chung, a matchup piece that can come down and set the tone in the box as well. And that's why I don't like Rashad Jones as much because he is that tone setter, but he's not that good of a cover guy. The Dolphins need to find someone that could be a better cover guy to match up tight ends and the like. I think Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State hits everything he sees and he can cover the tight ends and cover in the slot a little bit. I think he'd be a great option in that second round as well. As far as what the Dolphins do, they're going to operate this thing again around Mika Fitzpatrick. I think cut McDonald, keep Rashad Jones. So you have Minka Fitzpatrick as the number one safety, Rashad Jones as your number two, and then the number 
three safety, I think, is going to be a role-specific guy, whether it's a free agent or a rookie, like a Glover Quinn or a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. They look to go that way. And then number four, if they can't address that spot high in the draft or in free agency, the number four safety, Maurice Smith, and your fifth for depth and special teams, Walt Akins, even though he goes down on the roster as cornerback here and there. We'll see what he plays this year. But that's your safeties going into the season. We're going to do a comprehensive off-season preview on a podcast sometime next week. I'm not sure exactly which day yet, but that's the safeties. That's 10 parts on each of the last 10 podcasts. You guys can go back and find each of these position group reviews, talk about free agents and draftable players, all of it up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And next here on the podcast, we're going to talk about the idea of the tank again because... I kind of have a reformed stance on the tank, and I want to redefine the word tank as well. We'll get to all that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Wingful NFL, and the show, at Locked On Fins. A lot of times on the podcast here, my ideas come from tweets I have sent in the day, and that is the case for the second segment here on the Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're talking again about the idea of a tank, but I also want to redefine what that tank necessarily means because I don't think that it's going to come out of an intentional design to be a bad football team at least to a certain extent, as I'm going to kind of walk you guys through this line of thinking here on the podcast in this portion of the podcast, and it comes out of this idea that the top two quarterbacks in the draft, the only two quarterbacks to me that give you maybe not immediate starting presence on your roster, but guys that you can really bank on as being quality players at the next level, and you know who they are, Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. I think Kyler Murray eventually, when everything's said and done, winds up going in the top three or four of the draft. Maybe not organically, but someone will come up and get Kyler Murray. He's going to go very early. I would say fifth is his absolute floor as far as he could drop. And Dwayne Haskins, I think he could go in that 6-12 to range. I think teams are going to be excited to jump over the Dolphins if he does have a bit of a slide on draft day. And even at pick number 11, you have to think the Bengals would be interested in Dwayne Haskins there. But even then, if Dwayne Haskins does make it to 13, I think he could be the pick but I don't think he will be because he's not going to be the best player available. And he's also, to me, a far cry from some of the options you have down the road. And I've talked about how I hate that line of thinking, like kicking the can down the road and saying we're going to approach the quarterbacks in next year's class. But that only really pertains to Kyler Murray because I think that he's explosive enough to have the potential to be a big-time prospect, a big-time player in the NFL. I just don't think Dwayne Haskins is going to be that. I think Dwayne Haskins' ceiling would be like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. And if that's his ceiling, the very best he can get, I'm going to try to do better than that and try to change the fortune of this franchise and get the guy that you believe in. So the real quandary comes in when you consider that they might not be able to get that competent quarterback in the draft this year. And if they do find one in free agency, what does that accomplish? Teddy Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do we trade for Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, Josh Rosen, or Jacoby Brissett? Russell Wilson, now that one I would do. I would sell the farm for Russell Wilson because he's an elite quarterback in this league. But I just think, and this is to say the Dolphins won't intentionally lose games or build a bad roster on purpose with the idea of taking Tua Tungavailoa, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, whatever the hell your flavor is. They're not going to build a roster poorly to achieve that goal, but they just might not be in a position this year to get a quarterback that makes them competitive or maybe even competitive 
is the wrong word. A franchise-altering quarterback in the way a Kyler Murray does for a team. A guy like Patrick Mahomes or Baker Mayfield that comes in and you say, okay, we are done looking for a quarterback. And that was evident for the Browns and Chiefs, respectively, after what, three or four starts from both of those guys? They both knew they were done right there. And that's the guy you want. The guy that, these superstar quarterbacks, you can usually tell pretty early on. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't do that, though I think he offers the greatest upside to make a jump into that realm, though it's not likely. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jacoby Brissett, they sure as hell don't do that for you. Matt Stafford, he would be worth getting excited about, in my opinion, because I think very highly of Stafford. I think he's been held back by some bad coaching and some bad offenses and some bad teams and management and all that crap that he has to deal with in Detroit. But his contract and his age, both of those things together, really handicaps the future of this team. And then Derek Carr, I just don't think he's that good. And I don't personally think that highly of Josh Rosen because I didn't like his game in college. I don't like his personality. I don't like his demeanor. And I think that he's going to have some really negative habits and some bad turmoil with the way he's been treated in Arizona if he does get traded. Now, he could have that chip on his shoulder. But even then, I think he's a limited player because in today's NFL, he doesn't really have the traits that translate to the new age NFL, in my opinion, personally. So if you can't get the quarterback, the Murray or the Haskins, and you have Bridgewater on the table do you balk on Teddy Bridgewater because what does he do for you get you six seven wins put you back in the 12th or 13th pick in the draft next year is that what we're shooting for is a ceiling because then you have this other option where you say okay maybe we don't go after a 12 million dollar quarterback and put a fraction of our cap space and really giving ourselves more wins than we need in a situation where we know we're not going to be a playoff team regardless. And if you, I mean, maybe Teddy can get you to the playoffs. Maybe you can win nine, 10 games and that would be great. But then what? Then where are we at? We're back at square one again almost. So then you have this idea of Teddy Bridgewater or Tyrod Taylor or Ryan Fitzpatrick versus the idea of Jake Rudock and then maybe a late round rookie, which is kind of where I'm gearing towards if you don't get a Kyler Murray. And you know the idea, the main idea driving this is winning three games compared to six, which it sucks as a fan to admit that might be the best way to go, but really, it would be. But let's explore it beyond just the idea of winning more games that are are dubbed quote-unquote meaningless wins. Doing this with Rudolph and a rookie or just Rudolph and Falk, whoever it might be, it allows you to spend your money on your own guys this year because the Dolphins have some dead cap they have to eat from guys like TJ McDonald, but they also have contracts coming up for guys like Xavier Howard, as we all know, Jawan James. Maybe you budget some money down the road for Laramie Tunzel when he comes up, but it also affords you the opportunity to maybe look to free agency for that one big ticket item on a long year, long-term contract that can be here when the Dolphins are relevant again. And I tend to think the Dolphins will pass on that portion of free agency, as you guys have heard me talk about the last 10 days in the podcast. But Trey Flowers, to me, is the lone exception to that rule. He can play multiple positions, a perfect scheme fit in this defense. You guys know the drill on that. I've talked about it at, at length on the show here. And the Patriots, by the way, officially announced they will not tag Trey Flowers, so he will be out there on the market if the Dolphins choose to go in that direction. And that, my friends, is why things do look bleak for the Dolphins in 2019. The options at quarterback simply are not there. So you have to ask yourself, do we pay 10 million bucks to a, you know, Jay Cutler part two, and I don't want to be disingenuous to Teddy Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor, whoever it is, because being as bad as Jay Cutler is tough to do. But the idea that you spend that money on a quarterback that keeps you at six and 10, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do you any good at all. So do you take the option of that 
Or do you pass on that, use the money elsewhere to better allocate those resources and then push your chips to the center of the table on Jake Fromm to a tongue of Iloa, whatever it is that you fancy in 2020. So build this thing up, develop your guys, institute the program, get the teaching practices down that you want, get another clear, get another year clear of the bad contracts from Mike Tannenbaum, and let's go ahead and ride with that. And of course, again, all of this, everything I just said goes out the window if they find a way to get Kyler Murray. And speaking of Kyler Murray, yesterday on the podcast, we talked about quarterback traits. We're going to discuss some of the prospects and what they offer in those areas in this draft class and also discuss some offensive line play. We'll do that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast on Twitter at Wingful NFL and the show at Locked On Fins. LockedOnDolphins.com here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. The website has tons of new content for you guys as we almost doubled the writing team and staffers we have contributing now to LockedOnDolphins.com. We have pieces up there right now exploring the landscape of the AFC East. Of course, my entire state of the roster series is live up on LOD.com at this time. And there's another good piece out there by new writer Sean Diggity, that's his real name, looking at other quarterback options outside of the first round. Check that out, LockedOnDolphins.com. And with that, let's go ahead and talk about some quarterbacks because in the podcast yesterday, I took a tweet at me on Twitter asking about quarterback traits that I prefer, what I look for when I scout these guys. And I talked about the accuracy, the escapability, handling types of pressure in your face or the outside, throwing different pitches, whether it's the fastball or the lob pitch, galvanizing your teammates, throwing from under pressure, all that fun stuff. I want to go over the quarterbacks I have listed right here. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight quarterbacks. I want to evaluate just real quick. And we start with Kyler Murray. You guys know about him. He really checks all those boxes for me, except maybe the processing aspect of the quarterback position and dropping his eyes at times. But still, I mean, there really weren't any examples of windows being a problem for him to find in college football. So I really don't have those concerns going forward. To me, he's a great A-plus prospect, and you guys know how much I love him. Dwayne Haskins, I think he has a tremendous pre-snap processing ability inherent in him already, which is great for a 20-year-old quarterback. He's pretty accurate. His feet typically align with the center of his body in terms of getting everything going in the same direction towards his target, so he's clean that way. He doesn't really handle pressure all that well. I don't see any real escapability. He's not mobile. He's not going to make any plays with his legs, and at times he kind of succumbs to the pressure in the pocket, so I have those concerns for him. Drew Locke, the mechanics are a mess. He's always inconsistent with his mechanics. His feet, shoulders, elbows, all that stuff. His hips often are not aligned. That causes the ball to sail. He just, he he's inconsistent as a quarterback and he makes some really curious decisions, which in college is okay, but he has to hammer some of those things out at the next level. I just think the arm talent is really based upon driving the football and he doesn't really have the ability to change pace, change speeds and deal with what he sees post-snap quickly to make that arm effective. Daniel Jones, He's an athlete, I guess. His consistency and accuracy is awful. He doesn't really read the defense all that well. He's For a guy that's supposed to be in a polished pro-style offense, he's lacking in a lot of those areas. And as far as throwing from different platforms, everything has to be clean around his feet to get off a good drive throw because the arm's not strong. And if he doesn't have a clean base, the ball tends to sail and wobble on him very, very ugly in the way he sets that thing up. Then you have Jarrett Stidham. He's a five-star recruit coming out of high school, has the arm talent you like, but it just wasn't there for him on a consistent week-to-week basis in the SEC at Auburn. The accuracy was a concern. The downfield shots were a concern. He didn't really have 
the second pitch. I talk about the fastball. He lacked the ability to throw the touch pass down the field. I think that Jarrett Stidham, for me, has a lot of tools that you could work with and develop. And that's why I put him in that Jake Rudock class as far as Dolphins quarterbacks in the tank, quote-unquote, tank scenario. I think he'd be a good option if you can find him in the fourth round. Brett Rippon is a strong processor pre-snap. He has a very accurate throwing arm. He doesn't have the big drive throw in his tool bag. He's not going to escape pressure and make big plays that way, but I think he can function within the offense, and that's why I think he would be a good backup quarterback option. The same is true of Gardner Minshew. He's lacking in the arm. He does have some gamer to him where he can kind of scramble around and make some plays. He's pretty smart and sharp and galvanizing in his team that way. He definitely took that Cougars team to 11 wins, the most in program history, so I like him also in that backup role. And then I have Tyree Jackson, who at six foot seven, all those moving parts cause for a lot of accuracy issues and consistency issues in the mechanics and the setup. The elbow tends to drop or dip in, or he kind of gets the ball coming off too high out of his release. It just creates poor habits in his throwing ability. And you can kind of see that on tape every single week. There is issues, whether it's a play-by-play basis, a drive-by-drive basis, or even a week-by-week basis where he's just not consistent in the way he sets up his throws. So of those quarterbacks, I think I like a couple of them later on, like a Jared Stidham or a Brett Rippon. Maybe Gardner Minshew is an undrafted guy. And then I have Murray in the first round, Haskins in the first round also. And Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, I'm probably just staying away from altogether. So you guys asked me about the quarterback traits on Twitter. I had another person write in and ask about the offensive line traits I look for. So I want to just go over these with you guys real quick because... If you ask, I'm going to probably talk about it in the show. So the first thing with any sport and any athlete is the feet. Everything starts with your feet and the way you align yourself and build that base and that foundation. And with offensive line, it's no different. The first step is the first thing you look at. Does he explode out of his stance? Can he get to a deep drop step? Can he get out wide and cover a lot of ground with that first step in a zone blocking scheme? Does he set himself up well to square up his opponent across from him in a man blocking scheme? Does he take crossover steps efficiently? Does he avoid crossover steps when they are not necessary? All the things that you look for with a lineman start with the feet. And then, of course, we have the power of that initial punch and the ability to maintain balance as they reposition their hands up against their their opponent's chest guard or whatever it might be because the initial punch is how you dictate the direction you want to take the guy and how you control him if you miss that punch you have to have the balance down below again back to the feet to reposition while you kind of take your hands and find that spot that you want to use to anchor and move him speaking of anchor anchor is a big one when you absorb a bull rush can you drop your weight and set that anchor and stop the momentum of the pass rusher coming into you that's a big one the kick slide for tackles the initial slide to get out into space and set up the rep altogether. That's very, very important. Check out Andre Dillard from Washington State for an elite level kick slide to get out of his stance. And then recover ability. Can you recover after you got beat and after the defensive lineman has won the battle? Can you reposition yourself to get back in position to win the rep and maybe push him by the quarterback or maybe just do enough to get a hand on a guy so running back can spring a leak? And in the running game, it's all about who is the low man. You guys have probably heard that before on every football show of all time. Who can get the lowest? And also just look for which direction the contact takes these guys as they merge together. Does the lineman knock the defense back? Does the defense knock the offensive lineman back? If someone gets knocked back, they usually lose the rep. So watch for that in the running game. 
And I'd say that probably covers most of the basics with where you start from. And as I mentioned here on the podcast, we can do more of these as we lead into the combine and the draft. You guys just keep letting me know on Twitter what you want to hear and we'll do it next. But as for today's show, that's going to do it for me, guys. If you have a smart speaker, tell your smart speaker to play Locked on Dolphins podcast and load that thing up right quickly. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked on Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Understood, I know. Can it be that I hear what he's saying? Is there a reason why I'm still awake? And he says, I've got-